Welcome to our first episode of QUT Exec Insights for 2019, brought to you by QUTX, Professional and Executive Education for the Real World. I'm your host, Kate Joyner. QUTX has a very strong offering in public sector management, perhaps something that hasn't been reflected in our QUT Exec Insights series to date. Uh, To deliver our programs, particularly our National Public Sector Management Program, we work closely with professional groups and the public uh, purpose sector on the design and delivery of these programs. Um, Chief among our partners are public service commissions across Australia, and today I'm pleased to welcome Rob Setter, Chief Executive of the Queensland Public Service Commission and Queensland President of the Institute for Public Administration Australia. He will share with us his thinking on the 2019 IPA theme, reimagining the future of public purpose work. Rob Setter's career over the past 37 years has been in both the private and public sectors. He has a deep record of success in corporate governance, organisational reform and leadership development. As well as his role in IPA, he's also a board director, Australia and New Zealand School of Government, also known as ANSOG. So welcome, Rob. Thank you, Kate. So for our listeners who come from a range of sectors, a range of industries, Australia and internationally, we've discovered, haven't we, Um, who may not be familiar with the public sector landscape. What is the role of the Public Sector Commission and what is your role as its CEO? Uh, Thanks, Kate. The Commission is effectively um, government's independent and central agency that gives advice to government and through, particularly through the Premier, in terms of the workforce. So our charter is to work with the leadership board, that's all directors general and commissioners, Um, and the Strategic Workforce Council, that's all the heads of HR across all the departments, to shape that advice to government and, of course, to deliver results for government. So the focus is around workforce policy and strategy for the public service. Um, It's, uh, importantly, from my perspective, about leadership and talent development and management um, in the public service. We have a large cohort in that space. And increasingly, it's about the future of work, the workforce and workplaces, which is undergoing rapid change through digitisation and and expectation changes of community. Yes, that's a fascinating topic and something that we are very interested here um, at QUTX. So we'll further explore that topic. But um, I guess an arm of that um, mission is um, your professional hat as president of the Institute of Public Administration in Queensland. So um, what is that mission exactly of IPA? So... IPA's primary role is um, is changing in my view. Where IPA's only been brought back into Queensland the last year and a half, um, but if in, in essence it's the professional body for those involved in public administration uh, in Queensland. It's um, being set up as a partner with other IPAs in other jurisdictions, and there's an overs- oversighting body called IPA National that's chaired by Peter Shergold. Um, it's it, obviously therefore it's a not, non-profit, non-partisan. But from my perspective, what it provides is a platform to bring together local, state and federal governments in ways that I don't think we've leveraged the true potential of those arrangements. And then I turn my eye to the universities in Queensland that are distributed across Queensland with different geographical areas, but equally reaching into other, to all of Queensland and across Australia internationally. But I don't think that the, the public sector generally and specifically in regions has engaged well locally to optimise that relationship. So I see IPA Queensland as providing that um, safe place to have debate, to engage, to, to learn together. 
Yes, yeah, so we have um, James Cook in Townsville um, and we have um, Central Queensland, Queensland. yeah, mm-hmm. and um, uh, three universities in um, Brisbane area. Yeah. Southern um, Queensland. And Southern yeah. University of Southern Queensland. Um, so, uh, yeah, there is quite a range. Um, so yeah. you plan to have uh, arrangements or perhaps partnerships yeah. with um, each of those institutions. So our key and lead partner has been Griffith University through Anne Tiernan, Professor mm-hmm. Anne Tiernan. Yes. Um, Wonderful public policy. Oh, theorist. superb. Mm. And she's been um, instrumental in help shape our thinking about, and she's got a long corporate memory, of course, as well, mm. um, about he- what IPA canon should be in Queensland. Mm. And she and I have worked on much stronger and more direct relationships with all of the universities. Mm. Um, I'm approaching that uh, not in a one-size-fits-all. I'm negotiating individually with the vice-chancellors around what that might look like. Um, great appetite across the board. Um, and each thinking about the potential from their own perspectives, mm-hmm. and and I'm so that that's pleasing as well because I think they see opportunity by having a much stronger and more purposeful arrangement rather than the current, uh, uh, I suppose, person to person contact, which mm-hmm. is important. But I, mm-hmm. I think there's more to be had. More to be had. And Tiernan, of course, wrote a wonderful piece about craft skills. I think in the public yeah. service, which we use, you know, in our public sector management program, there's a bit of pub- public uh, placement, <laughs> a bit of product placement. <laughs> Well, I think her yeah. thesis is right. I think yeah. basically public administration generally over the years has lost the art of craft public. skills. Yeah, mm. and the craft skills. And I think mm. we've got to bring that back. That's fundamental to our effectiveness. And, mm. and um, so part of the mission of the commission and through it, but we will do that. Mm. So our podcast theme and the theme for IPA 2019 is reimagining the future of public purpose work. So, Rob, why, why am I not asking you about the future of public sector work? Um, what's the shift in language meant to signify? Is it, is it about the, our arrangements for actually deliver, uh, delivering on policy outcomes? It's more than that. Um, I see significant change occurring in terms of um, the nature of public service sector governance, um, particularly in terms of expectations of key stakeholders, and by that I mean community. Yep. Um, I think that governments increasingly are recognising they have to deal with very complex social issues that today the traditional approach of we'll do it ourselves, government, um, and we will contract others to help us is not working. Mm. And so it's, we're going to have to reimagine just what public sector, public purpose work is and how we do it um, and realise that um, um, the there increasingly are a large group and growing group of dissatisfied and disaffected community members who themselves are feeling they haven't got access to the economic growth and the opportunities that seem to be happening around them. And social media and internet has brought to that, those cohorts the capacity to talk to people who think and talk like they think and talk. They are manifesting their dissatisfaction at the electoral office. Mm-hmm. So the days of large, mar- large uh, majority governments, I think, are gone. And so you have government increasingly and oppositions increasingly thinking, how do we retain and grow relevance again? And that is by focusing on those very groups that are disaffected and, um, and unhappy because it, they are actually turning to single interest and factional parties. And in doing that, it's causing great disability in the public service because it means regular changes of government, change of direction, and all of that impacts our capacity to continue to deliver services against different priorities. So I think that within those drivers, what that means to the public sector, if indeed the thesis is true that we can't solve these problems alone and government's going to increasingly look to us to work differently, we really have to work in community and in partnership 
to really tackle these problems. And they can't be led in a single policy approach from Brisbane. They actually be, we have to know where the major elements of the challenges are and we have to empower our regional leaders to get on and do and to look outwards and work outwards rather than looking upwards and looking for direction. We need to get them active in regions. That's the place that I see an reimagined public um, purpose work occurring. Mm. The, the community sector is passing government by. They're getting. They're so well geared now. They're incredibly passionate. They're focused. They don't have large infrastructure and overheads to sort of drive. So we need to tap into that and leverage it and work with them, as opposed to condition the way we've done in the past. I think is contract them. Because they'll, they'll reach such energy that in some potential they won't even need us anymore. Mm. So the relevance of government. Or you might be captured, you know. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Same thing. So we would say that um, in public purpose work, so that what we'd call the not-for-profit sector now is part of a broader public uh, public purpose yeah. um, sector, I suppose, or a public, uh, public purpose um, uh, platform, I suppose, yeah. yeah, of how we deliver, yeah. And I think part of that is... Um, understanding that um, people are increasingly not looking to government for answers. They are looking to people like themselves and people who work in that space and we need to um, maintain that relevance by engaging with them in this common purpose of public purpose work, making a difference for Queenslanders, which is the glue that binds together every public servant. Mm -hmm. That's why they do what they do. But we need to reimagine how they can do that so that we make a difference. So be actually articulating quite a challenge, I think, for governments. And I <laughs> suppose every every um, every commission right across Australia and, and the world, of course, uh, would be grappling with those kind of ideas. So the idea of moving away from a centralised point of delivery to um, I guess what is it Stephen Osborne who said, talked about network network governance. So I mean you're looking at quite a shift, um, particularly in the way leaders um, mm. do their work. So we talk about you know co-produced. I think was some of those words collaborative, connected. Um, so and certainly those um, boundaries between uh, what we'd call government and the not-for-profit sector and the private sector, yeah. and the university sector for that matter. So that we are um, uh, the boundaries are less. Uh, uh, rigid than they used to be, but um, that does mean quite a shift um, for the way that we configure work um, and the way that we lead groups. Particularly, the idea that you can distribute power. <laughs> yeah, how do, how do you, as yourself as a leader, how do, how, would, how are you thinking about those challenges and how we, um, you know, in the terms of executive education, how can we step up to that challenge? So, um, I've been focused on this since I've returned to government in 2015. Our starting point with Dave Stewart, Director General and Premier and Cabinet, has been on the leadership board. That is, we created an entity of directors general and commissioners and we worked together uh, back in late 2015, early 16, to come up with a sort of a, a charter, what we call the leadership board charter, that is actually um, um, a framework for what I call collaborative governance. It's an appreciation that Joined up, we are strong. Um, in the past, the way that government's made, I think, has driven combative behaviours between agencies, resource protection, people protection, has meant that the large independent type agencies like health and education have soldiered on because they've got real capability and capacity. But, you know, half the agencies are not that. They're quite sharp and focused on quite small sectors and quite um, small in structure and size. So they don't have that capability. So in a competitive landscape, they lose, lose. Mm. Um, I'm, Dave and I are fortunate in that um, all members of the leadership board have signed up to the charter and the last couple of years have worked 
even their first objective on their performance agreement is actually around collaborative governance, network governance. And we measure that in a whole range of ways. But that change in the way that we, we lead is actually now transferring through agencies because, as you know, the expectations of government, of ministers and directors general through their performance agreement comes from a charter from the Premier that goes to the minister, to the DG, and then is rollercoasted through agencies. That now will include this notion of collaborative governance. And the government last year announced um, a future state advancing Queensland priorities statement that's identified um, six major priorities for this term of government. Um, we spent the, the first year working with the next cohort of deputies about what does this look like? And for the first time, we brought together cohorts of deputies from different agencies who have an interest in or are independent or critical friends to the process around each of those clusters. They are led by a DG of an agency who has a personal interest in that, like Healthy Start for, for Young Kids is obviously led by the DG of Education. But the cohort of workers that sit with him are DGs from a variety of sectors who impact youth. What is it that we're not seeing? What What is it we could do that we've never had the opportunity to do because we're so looking inwards and looking always to what is we're being directed to do. So there's been a lot of creative thinking last year and we're keen to this year make it the year of implementation. And so, and that includes ministers who are now sort of lead ministers on these priorities. So it's about alignment of effort and capability is the starting point. And I think in terms of a new way of government working, it's essential because if you have DGs empowered to run their business, They'll need other other incentives to engage. Their performance agreement is that incentive. The performance agreement, yes. And it's yes. working. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have to say that this year with the government's priorities, that'll be the way that we um, engage deeper into agencies. And in March, we're having our next workshop with that same cohort, but inviting all the regional leaders. So each all regions have an, what we call regional managers coordination network. We're inviting them to come down here and help us think about how do we roll this out? What is it that you need as regional managers and leaders to bring this dream about a different way of working to pass? And what is it that we in the centre need to do to actually free that up, mm. to empower, to let people go mm. um, in an environment of trust? Because mm. that's that's part of the challenge. And what do you think they'll come back with when when you ask them that question? I think they'll. I know that what they'll say because I've been out talking to them. You, as you well. already know. Yeah, here's one <laughs> I, I don't want to pretend to know all of it, but. <laughs> In a sense, they're saying we have no authority. Give mm. us authority. We, we have our networks. We mm. meet regionally. Mm. Mm. Um, but their charter regionally is actually coming together to learn a little bit about what others do. And it's effectively an old networking culture, I think. These priorities will give them a purpose in place because it will give them targets that they will share. And so along with that will come authority. The challenge, the ultimate institutional challenge for government is the way we fund because Treasury allocates annually through departmental structures. It has expectations that are performance outputs that we're trying to move to outcomes. But while they remain outputs, we continue to have an alignment of effort to particular elements of an output. But there are multiple outputs to having a true social outcome. So part of the shift in this year will be how do we trial new ways of funding that leverage change in the front line, as opposed to current structures which allocate uh, and force people to look downwards and always upwards, upwards. as opposed mm -hmm. to out. out. Big yeah. challenge. It is a challenge. Um, and, of course, the, the really what we would call 
good operators will be able to bring those networks to bear. And I should say that this, I, I, I say it as though no one's doing it. The reality is, yes, of course they in are. In spite yeah. of what <laughs> Brisbane says, people regionally get on and do. They it's do. Very, very mm. capable. But we don't do enough to, I think, assist. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Dave Burke because uh, he and I, hello, Dave, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, we used to work in Brisbane City Council together and he he would laugh. I always bring him in to talk about collaborative leadership. He was a good doer. Um, I had to kind of nudge him to talk about it because he was so intuitive. But what he was really good at was relational contracting. So, so delivering, you know, those big infrastructure projects through relational contracts. And that, to me, is the... Um, you know, requires uh, leadership skills of, you know, of the highest order. But um, he was very good at that. So no one better, I think, to lead this Well, agenda. his whiteboard yeah. now is all of state, so he's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned, um, Rob, that you, you know, that you want to engage the universities and um, institutions of learning uh, for this challenge. What would be your brief to us about that? So in the kinds of programs that we're offering um, for, you know, leaders at various levels, um, what, what should our emphasis be? So I think, um, uh, well, I know what we need to do is get a stronger understanding within our leaders of government about the research expertise in universities generally and more as and um, as opposed to the current arrangement which has Department of Transport with strong relationships with Brisbane-based universities and have long-term and existing relationships around their particular product and service outcomes. But that is not necessarily accessible to other parts of the government. Equally, universities, I think, individually and collectively need to have a stronger understanding. So what are the priorities of government? What, Where is your emphasis? Because I think um, we've tried over the years to um, have a certain number of priorities, but we then wrap it up in bureaucracy that makes it absolutely impossible to have impact. We need to have a system designed that enables the universities to provide its research excellence to its areas of known interest and for us to know where to tap into where the excellence is. So that requires big institutions of government and big institutions of universities singularly to understand each other's and their what's available in a broader context than we currently do. Now, I'm not trying to liberal it to a relationship between the commissioner of the public service and a vice chancellor, because that doesn't deliver necessarily outcomes on ground. Universities are big infrastructure institutions themselves. And so we need to be coming in at a number of levels. levels. Mm. And I think what I see for IPA and the PSC is beyond the VC to the next layers oh, in the administration, mm. while the programs that are being offered by individual universities continue. Mm. And I think what will happen is there'll be a, a shift or focus on what is this new relationship that's emerging and a shaping of programs at frontline mm. to align to that. And I think the challenge for universities um, is to make that uh, the entry into universities more legible. <laughs> so if you actually want to have uh, an, 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 a relationship with the university, you don't know what door to knock on really, yeah. uh, other than the vice chancellors, but there needs to be more yeah. doors to knock on or particularly one point of entry. And that's, um, I mean, that is uh, underpins the QTX strategy, absolutely, to have that one People would one say portal. the same of government. Is there, mm. Which door do you knock on in government? Because mm. it's not clear. Mm. Or what, what number do I ring to ring right. government? <laughs> and that's yeah. part, one of the priorities for this government is around responsive government because mm. we're dealing with this issue of the online platforms giving access in ways we've never ever experienced before and people looking for online experiences to satisfy their need. And because we're such a large organisation, historically organised around agencies and independents, they've got their own language and connections. So we need to have a single point of entry. Yeah. People don't care what department, they just want the outcome. Mm, exactly. 
Um, so um, we'll, we'll focus a little bit now on you as a leader, Rob, mm -hmm. if that's okay with you. Um, so tell us a little bit of your career path um, as a public purpose leader. Um, where did you start and what have been some of the career highlights for you? Uh, born in Home Hill. Um, that's, that, they were twin towns, weren't they? Air and Home Hill. I remember yes, learning that. very competitive and combative <laughs> between over the Burdekin River. Um, mm. But it was it was a great place to grow up. And um, having experience of what regional communities are like, I think, is essential in public service, particularly in big public service. Went to university in towns, went to James Cook in its early days. Um, and then went to do teaching. So I was secondary teacher for 10 years. Mm. Wonderful profession and I think so underrated in terms of... What was of your teaching area? Geography, history, English. Um, and taught for six or so years in Dysart and Nambour and Townsville. And then um, moved into the, the vet sector, TAFE. Um, firstly in Townsville and then down here when because I was going through in the late 80s, re-mergers of colleges to make institutes of TAFE and um, secured a promotion down into Nambour, the, what was called then the Sunshine Coast Community College, I think it was at the time. Um, but then that was being merged with the Gympie College of TAFE. And so part of the charter there was to, and I've come to understand the vet sector and the power of training and capability development that education is important to, but it's only a part of in terms of pathways for young people and community economic development. Then was enticed there while I was there to um, do some work more out of interest, I suppose, in marine tourism. So I did some, I was general manager sales and marketing in name to a Coral Princess Cruises operating out of Townsville and Cairns. They offered me work for a year to help set up their Kimberley cruise. So I said, why not? And TAFE was in, the, in that environment looking to have industry release, get your relevance up in terms of industry terms. So I took a year out and amazing. It's um. The, the, the potential of the Kimberley was very, has been really largely unexplored, but they had a major reef program. So I focused on continuous delivery of the reef program and supported the managing director at the time to scope the Kimberley. Now, it was only a year, and of course, they wanted me to stay, but what, what it also shaped for me was not only an understanding of how small enterprises need really clarity around government service to, to leverage the potential that's there, create jobs in regions, but also for me, it made me realise I actually prefer being in government. The experience helped me appreciate not only the importance of government, but what it meant to me. And um, so came back into government into head office in VET. Rachel Hunter was um, at the time general manager for VET. It was trying to create a single institute for um, the TAFE. It was given the role about purchasing VET. So effectively, I set up the competitive training market for Queensland and took money off TAFE in order to fund a whole, I didn't, but the government required me to um, grow the private private training market. That gave me a whole range of insights into just, I guess, folly in some senses about, you know, letting the thousand flowers bloom and over-regulation or under-regulation and sort of impact on people's lives and, again, changed my perception of the role of government. So from there, the Director General from Education who looked after TAFE at the time asked me to come across and apply for Deputy Director General of Primary Industries. What do I know about primary industries? Well, quite a lot as it turned out. But in the essence, the role was about organisational reform. And I did that for a couple of years and he, re he retired and I got the job as Director General there. And history goes on that government changed and my services were no longer required. 
government changed and they asked me to come back. So that's it's kind of been a bit in and out, probably and along the side, run family businesses with, you know, mm. fruit and vegetable growing and so forth. But, um, yeah, I think my message, I guess, to young people generally is get out, be part of government, even if your passion's there, but get out and see how government impacts and come mm. back thinking differently about what it is you do. Yes, I think it... Um Steve Jobs always says you've got to create a lot of dots so that you can join a lot of dots, you know, um, understand things from, you know, many perspectives. And, of man. course, the, my, in my day, you never did anything unless you felt you would get go to the next step. Well, the mm. reality is you actually need to go, need to go vertical mm. to broaden your experience to, to get to the next step. Mm. And not everyone sort of wants to do that. That's the tough bit. Well, I think um, and we, you touched, you know, in your introduction about the future of work issues. So... I mean, if you were, if you're speaking to one of the young men in Aaron Home Hill now, who was about your age when you were in Aaron Home Hill, what what would your advice be about how to navigate this uh, new world of work and career? But roles in government, I think, will be slow to to adapt to that challenge with this disruption stuff that impacts on small enterprises and this rapid response required doesn't sort of reek into government. But we need to be more increasingly responsive to that because we'll wake up one day and suddenly we'll be the dinosaurs of service provision. So I guess my my advice is look for the opportunities at a, at a level that's pays to your strengths. See it as a way to get in. And I don't think that government generally really values young people in terms of their potential beyond those that are in the elite, like the graduates of universities. There's a whole raft of, look at the youth unemployment situation, and if government isn't employing regionally for young people, who is? Um, so I think there's opportunities for government to shift and engage and entice, but get in there around what your opportunities are, work hard and learn, and use the bureaucracy of government to understand where opportunities are. We're across the state. There's thousands of delivery points. There's huge opportunities in regulation, policy design, service delivery, in community safety, public public health. It, we are a broad church. And I think what getting in's the key. It's about pursuing what you know you're good at and have a passion for and appreciating that you will need to be mobile in order to grow experience and capability. And you'll have to continue to learn. You'll have to study. Um, not only um, formally, but also informally. And I think young people today, particularly the top end, the elite group, they come in and they're all, they've got all of that, but they're, they're hungry for experience. Um, they didn't join like I did, wanting a career for life. We need to be recognising that and be, have them re ready to go out, encourage them to leave, but in a way that why they want to come back. I think we dis disengage young people when we get them in because the bureaucracy is so stifling. It's not what they want. This is it's a false promise, mm -hmm. and we've got to. And again, part of this this freeing up and uh, empowering locally, hopefully, will unstifle. So, if um, uh, our sort of shiny people and also everyone in the public sector um, want to engage in IPA in 2019, how can they find out what's on offer? Go to our website, um, IPA, IPA Queensland. We're now moving from organisational membership, which are all the directors general departments, to inviting individual membership. We're going to have a number of events this year. Um, our first in February is Young Professionals Breakfast. Um, great event last year. We focused on one of the government's priorities around diverse workforce. And the room was full of directors general and young people under 35 from their own department and had a natural conversation. So... That is one way, I think, to demonstrate the value of IPA. Um, but online is the way to go um, and uh, membership's available. 
Fantastic. Well, we look forward to engaging with IPA in 2019 and I look forward to seeing some of our audience um, at uh, IPA events in 2019. And Rob Setter, thank you very much for sharing your ideas. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for this episode of QUT Exec Insights, brought to you by QUTX, Executive Education for the Real World. You can comment on the podcast or make suggestions for future guests at execinsights at qut.edu.au. We would love to hear from you. If you would like more information about professional development for yourself or your team, please search QUTX, that's Q-U-T-E-X, and you will find our full range of programs. I'm your host, Kate Joyner, with sound recording and editing by Lance Scape-Elliott. See you next time.